Welcome to Filmstrip and our Superman retrospective series. Who is he? What's his name? Where does he come from? What's he got hidden under that cape of his? Batteries? Featuring Brian. Do you like pink? I like pink very much, Louis. And Jay. To a nice guy who's about to finish last. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of films featuring the Man of Steel. I tell you, boys and girls, whichever one of you gets it out of is going to wind up with the single most important interview since God talked to Moses. And now, here's Brian and Jay. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is the last installment in our Superman retrospective series, our review of Man of Steel, starring Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Michael Shannon, Russell Crowe, Diane Lane, and Kevin Costner. Directed by Zack Snyder, of course released just this past weekend on a $225 million budget, has made $196 million worldwide in its opening weekend. Now we've talked about it leading up to this. Produced by Christopher Nolan, written by Nolan and David S. Goyer, who really reinvented Batman together, and directed by Zack Snyder, known for the remake of The Dawn of the Dead, The Watchmen, Sucker Punch. You know, he definitely is a director with a, a certain flair and style. So it is a reinvention of Superman. And uh, we both got to see it on opening weekend. I did. I was surprised. I didn't know if I would be able to get there on opening weekend, but somehow I managed to uh, convince the wife to let me go and... Thus, I was able to see it, and very happy I did. And when did you see it? I saw it on a Friday evening. I went to a 9.15 showing of it, so a late night show after the boys went down. And I actually weaseled my way into a midnight premiere of this thing um, Thursday night. So I got to see it in uh, what has to be the hottest theater <clears throat> I've ever sat in in my life. Had to be 85 in there. Don't know what was up with that, but uh, about three quarters full, but they had it on about six screens. And in the small college town I'm in in the summer, you know, getting that kind of crowd is amazing. So it was, it was a big crowd. But, um, you know, I'll say this. I don't know how your crowd reacted and stuff. Mine, there were moments when they, you know, laughed out loud and stuff like that. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the rock environment like i when i went and saw avengers last year on opening weekend i mean that was a loud theater and uh some other films i've, I've been to like that the like skyfall was that way you know there, there's some where the audience is definitely participating in it and this one everybody just kind of sat and watched it yeah well my theater was in a small town so there wasn't like a ton of people there i think maybe 20 people total in the theater with me so it wasn't like it was a huge crowd um and really not a lot of talking or ooing, aahing or any of that stuff. I, I don't think I've ever actually been to a movie. Maybe it's just the way people react down south or wherever. But nobody really reacts like that in movies I've ever been to. So, yeah, I've never ex- kind of experienced what you have. So it was just people watched it. And the only time they laughed was towards the end there. There's a joke that they lay on. Uh, I think Superman lays on someone and everyone laughed out loud. Yeah, I think we're both probably thinking about the same joke. We we can get to that in just a bit. But, uh, you know, we're going to get into the plot summary here. And if for some reason you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen this movie yet and you're planning on seeing it and you don't want it spoiled to death, if you've been able to avoid it somehow in the last uh, week or so, you might want to turn off now because we're going to tell all of it. And if you know all of it, it's, you know, it's not the same. I can say this, Brian, generally, even on weekend of release stuff, I will go in 
spoiled on them. I mean, I knew what Prometheus was when I went and saw it. I knew most of the Avengers. I didn't know all of it, but I knew most of it. And that never really bothers me. But I went out of my way this time to really be spoiler free. The only thing I had seen were the, you know, the trailers. And there's a million of them, but that's all I had seen going into this. Yeah, and I think all I've seen really was the first maybe... Uh, first one or the first or two, I think, trailers, and that was it. And I saw them once each, and then I just decided that I didn't want to really see anything more or read anything more. I wanted to go on blind as to not taint my thoughts or get too hyped or get too let down or any of that stuff. So I didn't read any reviews. I didn't read anything leading up to it. I saw the first two trailers when they released, you know, several months ago, and that was it. All right. Well, cool. Well, I'm going to go ahead and roll through the plot summary, and then we can talk about the movie. So Sounds good. The planet of Krypton is dying, and lead scientist Jor-El and his wife have a natural-born son, Cal, the first in many generations, whom they encode with all the genetics and essence of the Kryptonians and send to Earth for a chance to live and allow their species to continue. <laughs> Jor-El is killed by General Zod, the military leader of Krypton, who agreed with Jor-El about the pending doom of Krypton against the higher authority, but wanted the military insurrection which Jor-El posed. After Jor-El is killed, General Zod is actually captured, and he and his lieutenants are sent to the Phantom Zone, which is kind of like a prison ship thrown into the black hole. It's very different, but it's not long before Krypton is destroyed. Cal crashes into rural Kansas and is raised by the Kents, who name him Clark. And throughout his childhood, Clark uses his powers to save others, even against the wishes of his earthly father, Jonathan, played by Kevin Costner, and this ostracizes him, of course, from his peers. He grows up to become a nomad, wandering from place to place, only working long enough to make enough money to get to the next place, leaving virtually no trace of himself behind. When ace reporter Lois Lane is sent to report about a potential alien discovery by the military, she meets Cal aboard an old Kryptonian scout ship that he's found, and he saves her life. She finally tracks him down for him only to rebuff the opportunity to go public, fearing that Earthlings would not accept him, which is what his earthly father's fear was. General Zod's ship, blasted free from the Phantom Zone, spent many years uh, scouring the stars looking for the lost son of Krypton, which they find on Earth after Cal activates that scout ship. Zod's troops invade, demand for kal to be turned over to them, and Kal agrees, but soon learns that Zod's plan is to terraform Earth as the new Krypton, which of course will kill all of Earthlings. Several battles ensue, and Cal and Lois are captured aboard Zod's ship. However, they use the AI, or artificially intelligent Jor-El, not only to escape, but to devise a plan to zap the aliens back into the Phantom Zone, which happens after a lengthy battle in which Metropolis is you know, virtually destroyed. Zod and Kal-El square off, and uh, Kal eventually gets the upper hand and kills the Kryptonian. Earth is safe, and Kal agrees to go to work at the Daily Planet disguised as mild-mannered Clark Kent so he can be a positive resource for the people. And that's pretty much the plot summary of Man of Steel. Yes, it's a it's a very different take on Superman from what we've seen in the Christopher uh, Christopher Reeves versions or even the uh, Brian Singer version. This is a different take on Superman. It's it's interesting. It's opposite of everything that we've known for these characters so far. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's some of the same stuff replayed, but it's a it's a totally different tone and. 
I, you know, here's the thing, and, and I want to just start off with this. I, I talked a little bit about how my crowd was. I was one of the few 30-somethings in the crowd watching this. I was mostly in a crowd of, like, college age or high school students. This is what it looked like, even at a midnight premiere. And I heard this group in front of me who were, I would just to say in their young 20s, talking about Superman you know, beforehand, and they had some trivia up on the screen, and one of them said to the other, you know, Tom Welling is my Superman. And Tom Welling played Clark Kent on Smallville for 10 seasons and I thought you know what it's, I don't know why it hadn't hit me before but most of the people in my theater weren't even alive the last time Christopher Reeve played Superman much less the 78 version they may have not even seen it for all I know that movie you know is, is popular but I don't know how popular it is among the younger set and I got to thinking to myself I said huh I wonder if the producers are hit to that too and if we're going to get a dose of Smallville here because I watched most of the 10 seasons of Smallville. I, I fell out of it there near the end, but I ended up watching it at the end. I watched enough of it to know what it was about. And I got to tell you, one of the biggest influences, particularly in the portrayal of Clark Kent and the way it goes down here, it, it rang to me that this was a heavy influence of Smallville in this, uh, the way they, they do things, the way the, the drama sets up, and the way Clark is about his powers and everything. I, and i got to tell you, I don't know that that's a bad move. I, I kind of dug it. Yeah, I don't really know anything about Smallville. I haven't seen any of it, so that's all new to me. But I think that you're probably correct in the fact that uh, we go into this with a different look on things because the audience who's coming to see this for the first time, there's going to be a bunch of us who have seen the 78 film, and it's you know, subsequent films afterwards, but there's going to be a bunch who haven't seen any of them. And maybe the only experience that they've had with Superman was Superman Returns. So it's not a bad move. I think it's a good move to kind of cater it that way or even just change the story altogether. Which is true. And it should be said, you and I are most definitely in the minority when it comes to our feelings about Superman Returns. Most people deride that film. So even the young people that may have been aware of it, all they've probably ever heard about it is that it was terrible and so you know their reference point is probably going to be something like smallville and so that's why and i think that gave the producers and it gave the you know warners in particular the freedom to go you know let's just take what we want about the story but let's hand it to somebody that reinvented a character that had been has a you know a steeped history in comics and has has its own film history even batman and let's see if he can give us something and nolan and goyer you know a team that write a lot of things together and goyer's done a lot of comic book stuff they reinvented the superman mythos and it really starts with the whole opening bit on krypton and the way it's done. And what did you make of Krypton this time? It's it's not the ice planet that we saw before. No, it's uh, very, very uh, sci-fi. And mm -hmm. I was enthralled from the moment it started. Just the, the world was totally different. They didn't expect it to look that way. It was cool. Um, you saw flying animals like horses, basically. The flying automobiles is a lot like it was taken out of a little bit of the Star Wars world. Thank you. I was having episode two and episode three flashbacks through this. Yes. It was very Star Wars-esque Coruscant-like place, and uh, I liked it. I thought it was different. It was cool. It was neat. They still had the council the way it was, things like that. And the outfits that they wore were much more um, 
futuristic and, and interesting, I thought, and just everything. It just captivated me from the moment I started watching it. Well, it's like they were all wearing this undersuit, which is essentially the, the Superman suit that we know or whatever, or what will become of it. But it, they were black, and then they all wore like armor over the top of it or layers of things, and they each had the big symbol and the mm-hmm. crest symbols, of course. And you know, we're introduced right off the bat to Jor-El. Russell Crowe. Now, I love Russell Crowe. I will watch him do just about anything because I I don't know that I've ever seen him turn in a bad performance. I've seen him in movies that don't necessarily work, but I think he's always really bringing the game. And I got to tell you, no offense to Marlon Brando, national treasure as an actor, but this Jor-El, I, I take it every time over what Brando turned in because it was a much more active performance. I would agree, and I think that a lot of the problem with Brando was that he was just there to collect a paycheck, right? (laughs) He didn't really give a shit about the movie uh, or anything else. He didn't care what it was or any of that crap. At that point in his career, he was under such... He had so many personal problems in his life that he was just, whatever, give me the money. So it felt that way. And yeah, Russell Crowe, amazing as Jarrell. I I loved the the character that he brought to uh, Jarrell. I loved just the acting. He was superb. And that's one thing I will say about this whole film. The acting is far and above anything we've gotten on any Superman film before this. They were all just sensational. Don't disagree with that at all. I think you're, you're dead on. We'll, we'll definitely get into some of those other performances because I've got some notes about one in particular I really want to get to. But just sticking with Jor-El here, the setup is basically the same, though. The The planet is dying. He's appealing to the council, and they're not, they don't want to listen. And we get introduced to Zod immediately. Now, this was out of the first one. Remember that, you know, it opened with the trial of Zod and his compatriots. We yep. never knew what their rebellion was. This time we get to see part of it. They come in and just start whacking the council. It'd be like walking in and shooting the Supreme Court today. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was, you know, very, I don't know. It really got me right into it. And I think that's something I can say about this whole film, Brian. This thing moves at a rapid pace. I mean, it is very fast for mm-hmm. a two and a half hour movie. There was no dull moment. That, that's true. And that's a, that's a really good sign of a good script and a good paced movie because two and a half hours later, I didn't feel like I was there for two and a half hours. And that's mm-hmm. awesome. But, uh, I agree that the whole story with, uh, with, uh, General Zod and the takeover, I thought it was cool because now you got to actually see it was like a military coup, basically. They were coming to take over control of the planet because they believed what Jarrell believed that it was dying and they needed to do something to save the people while the council was just trying to acquiesce and say, you know, nothing is going bad here. We're fine. You're lying, you know. And I like the whole idea that instead of the sun coming too close to the planet and destroying it, they were mining the planet and its core is basically blowing up on them. Right. They were, they were, they had overused all their natural resources. And so they started mining the core and now they had damaged that. And so it was becoming unstable. It was, you know, it was their own gluttony that was causing their, um, demise instead of being their own stupidity. Like the sun's not closer. Right. It's, you know, which we both were like, yeah, it's kind of lame, but whatever, you know, in the first Superman review, this, it made, it made more sense. It was more practical. And I like too how they drop. A lot about Kryptonian society that they had had outposts, mm-hmm. they had had other places, which sets up something that happens later, and, and how a ship you know had can been on Earth that long and stuff. There were other places they were making, you know, there were people behind the scenes, Darrell and others, who were trying to make 
uh, plans for you know another Krypton because they knew it wasn't going to last, and this council was just you know head in the sand about it. But yeah. as much as you know they agree on that, Zod and Jarrell, Jarrell does not uh, see military insurrection as the way to go, and so he disagrees with him, and then that you know that throws the rest of the plot into the mix, and that's when Jarrell and and his wife you know she's given birth, and it's the first natural birth. On Krypton and would they say centuries? Yeah. Because they had, I mean, and I want to tell you, it's not the first time, but I felt like a lot of the Matrix influenced this. Oh, movie. yeah. Yeah. They, they basically took like, I don't know, the, the first Kryptonian. It was like a skull. I don't know exactly what was happening, but based off of that, they had created like an underwater baby farm. Uh, for Kryptonians and Kryptonians had been born artificially for years. Like this one's going to be a scientist and this one's going to be a military leader and this one's going to be this. And we hear that that had been part of it. I mean, so much so that that's actually Jor-El and Zod's backgrounds too, that they were bred to be the people that they are. Absolutely. What And what you're going to see throughout this film, I think is just, it, this is a look at society in a, the world today. And using all the things that are going on, you know, the, the, the whole thing with the, um, the making of the babies and, and all that stuff, that, that's totally Matrix, Matrix X on what is it, like the third Matrix or whatever, where they have the mm-hmm. pods with the babies in it, they pull them out and they put them in, whatever. It's the yeah. same look of there. But if you look, if you look into all these different themes, right, they're using up all their natural resources. Well, that's just another reason to call for alternative fuels that we're dealing with today, right? We're, we're right. worried about using up all our natural resources. Okay. That's a good theme to go on. They're saying, oh, you're going to destroy the planet. Look what happened to Krypton here. That's a good way to use current situation in a movie like this. The whole, um, idea that, uh, they were doing outposts to kind of mm-hmm. try and f- do out- uh, settlements on different planets and to, build a new Krypton, that's similar to what, you know, think about the, the space program that we have here in the United States, and the fact that we spent lots of money trying to, to do this space program, and now we're basically not doing anything anymore. You know, we have right. no, no way to get out there, we're not spending much money on it, so we basically have to hitch rides from other countries if we want to get up to the space station. It's kind of like that, you know, this council had decided that after centuries and centuries of doing this exploration, it wasn't worth spending the money anymore and stopped doing it. And now they're paying the consequence of that as well. So it's really interesting Mm. themes that they're using here from our current times to kind of explain their story, which I thought was cool. I think it's neat that how Christopher Nolan and David Goyer both really have a pulse of Western society. And they weave contemporary issues in the scripts that they write. I mean, you go back to those three Batman films. There's so much stuff about what was going on at the time all of those was made, weaved mm-hmm. through those films. And it changed as times changed and the next one got made and the next one got made. I mean, you had everything as, uh, you know, up to Occupy Wall Street was oh, yeah. in one of those scripts. And the funny thing to know about that last week, that was written before that ever even happened. They just saw it coming. So, I mean, these are guys that are, if they're anything, they're good sociologists. They kind of get what the trends are. And, I mean, it, it, it's well-balanced, too. That's the thing. Like, usually when that kind of thing happens, Brian, I don't know about your opinion of it, but my experience with it is it's usually coming from one side of the fence or the other. Oh, sure. And in, they're, in these, they're using in both, the, yeah. Yeah, in these cases, I feel like it is well balanced. Like it is, it is very much a you know a little bit of both, and that you know both Zod and Jor-El are wrong and right, you know, in in what they're doing and what they're trying to do. But the whole setup of this thing, and I think that's we both have said, it really gets you into the film because I mean you're just dumped out of the bucket right into this. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there's no, there's nothing slow about it. And you know what? It's, I mean, it's effects heavy. It's nothing but, you know, green screen CGI stuff going on in the background. And it never at any time was I taken out of it in this opening scene. I thought it was really good effects work. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it, uh, the whole thing. I mean, I was enthralled with the whole scene as they were getting it all set. And I really liked how they did the, uh, the ship uh, that sent Kalel to the planet Earth, how basically mm-hmm. they hadn't even launched it by the time Zod got there. And it's Zod and Jarrell fighting basically over what he's doing. And he tries to appeal to Laura to not send the ship off so that they can save the race. And she listens to Jarrell, who says the only way to save the race is to send the ship off. And they're sitting there watching it leave all together, right? And I thought that was yeah. kind of cool. And they try to take the ship down, but they're not able to. Just it was it was really captivating to see that whole thing. And then of course when he murders Jarrell right there, holy cow, that was a big moment too. That was a it was a grand moment. And I mean and that was something I didn't you know, see coming. Cause I knew mm-hmm. Jorel was going to die. That's all part sure. of it. You know, that, wow, Zod has killed him. So it's a little bit of that, you know, Joker shot the Batman's parents, you know, that, that's back in the Tim Burton world or whatever. Right. But I was okay with it. I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Cause it's not, it's not a blood feud these two have. This is, and later on in the film, like you can tell, like Zod is conflicted about having done that, but he's still so caught up in his own, you know, cause that it's like, well, you know, means, you know, that justified, you know, what I was trying to do. Well, and he, I don't, it's, it's honor before, you know, personal feeling, right? He's got to yeah, do yeah. what he's supposed to do, no matter what ha- it stands in the yeah. way, no matter what he has exactly because he he is the genetically engineered perfect military leader. That's why he does what he does. Mm-hmm. He's so trusted and had risen so far. I mean, he was built for this. And I love the the lines between Laura and Jorel beforehand because she's like he won't even be able to make it on earth you know yeah. and he's like no 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 no. the star that the sun that that you know their uh galaxy is centered around is so young his cells will just eat up all that radiation you know he'll adjust it's fine and they're going to play with this later on and yes. it's one of the the redos that i love in this brian is that it's not just show up on earth and have superpowers like it, right. it took years for clark the kid to adjust to our environment. And when the Kryptonians show up, like they have to wear masks and stuff or else they get really sick really fast right. in the environment. And I thought that was a cool, neat conceit though, because it allows you to take this, this character who is a god essentially among men and you make him vulnerable because he's not totally comfortable in it. Yeah. No, I liked it too. And that whole, the whole thing with the whole, the mask and why they need it and what they do when the masks you know, start to wear off or come off. I like that whole thing. And so, yeah, I agree. And they set it up really well when Clark is back at, in, um, Smallville and his mother's telling him, you know, basically, you know, when you first got here, I used to sit at your crib and you had such a hard time breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just cool to set that up because at first you're like, well, that's weird. You know, he's having a hard time breathing. But then once Zod and them come down to earth, you figure out why that was what happened to cause that and how he was able to adjust because he spent 30 what is it 30 some years on earth adapting and these guys just Mm -hmm. arrived and they can't do it that fast fascinating stuff it was very good but i I love the opening and how he sent earth and then this is you know what i call again the the nolan influence on this it part of this first act here felt a whole lot like the setup of Batman Begins, because most of that movie is told in flashback. Uh-huh. You know, we're like we get to a point and then boom, we go forward and we just start working our way backward. And the next thing we see is, you know, Kal-El, the deadliest catch. 
You know, he's he's right. working one of the you know the most dangerous job on earth, and we see him you know rescue people on an oil t- uh, oil uh, uh, platform, yeah. yeah, that has gone uh, gone haywire, and he gets out there, and I mean, I love that scene. I thought that was cool. I liked it too. I was I was kind of interested to see that they they the first t- time we see Kalel on Earth is he's a grown man. And he's working on a ship yeah. and everything else. I I was thrown, uh, taken aback by that. I wasn't expecting that, right? I just all of a sudden look and I'm like, is that, that's Clark Kent sitting there. What's he doing old now all of a sudden? And then they, they play mm-hmm. with it the whole time. And I, I was one of the genius moves I thought of this movie was doing the flashback scenes and telling the story between what he's doing now. And I like that a lot. What did you make of, and we can just talk about him because now that he's introduced Henry Cavill as Kal-El here, and they call him that the entire movie. I mean, there's only one line of Superman and it's played as a joke. So, I mean, nobody, you know, calls him that. So what did you make of his portrayal here? Well, they call him Clark Kent. And yeah, they call him that too. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. um, I, I liked it. Um, it was different. It was cool. It was, um, I thought he did a fantastic job, and I believed him as this character. I, even the the younger character uh, actors that played him at, at a younger age throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing, I think they all did a superb job. That's one of the things I said earlier: is the acting in this is so above what we've seen in all the other Superman movies that it's, it's it makes it so much more enjoyable. And Henry Cavill just did a fantastic job um, getting into the mind of what was a co- very conflicted character in, in Clark Kent, trying to figure out you know he's knows of these superpowers and he tries to do good with them but then he feels conflicted that he was using them because he's been told not to at this time in his life and so he's trying to figure out when and where to use these powers but he doesn't what what it was interesting is he doesn't um hold back like he he doesn't care if people see him use them right which i thought because he because he's he's made a lifetime out of disappearing right you know, since he's and been a using teenager. fake names, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's got a, he's pretty good at hiding himself. Yeah. And I'll tell you this about Henry Cavill. I, I mean, first off, physically, the guy is, I mean, he is ripped. I mean, this is a big dude. He looks amazing in and out of the suit. Just really physical presence. But his eyes, he has these really, I don't know, emotive eyes. And I don't know if his, his natural eye color is that blue or not, or if they CGI'd that or whatever, but it really brought the character out. And it's, it's one of the many things that I said, you know, in the opening, there's a lot of Smallville influence on here. It's the one thing Tom Welling always did so well as Clark Kent is he played that vulnerability and that little bit of introvert that Clark Kent is. And, and in this case, Clark Kent is w- much more introverted mm-hmm. and much more, you know, I'll do good when I can do good, but then I'm going to run away because I don't want people to know, you know, and he, he also doesn't let bullies get to him. And we get the idea that he gets picked on a lot when he grows up. And then we see him as an adult get picked on at the bar and he just bails. He's like, okay, well, not before he destroys the guy's well, truck, which was hilarious. But, uh, you know, I mean, but he doesn't, really cool. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't go around and pick a fight in a bar with somebody, you know, with Lois, thank goodness, well, you know, like we didn't get that scene again. So, yeah, but you, you see that he wants to. Right. You see in inside his eyes that he really wants to fight back, but he knows it's not fair. Right. And he knows that he shouldn't do that. And that you have thanks to Jonathan Kent. Right. Jonathan Kent exactly. calmed him through all this. You know, even though he wanted to beat up the kids who are bullying him at the at the far, farm, Jonathan Kent was able to stop it before it got out of control and tell him, you know, I understand you really wanted to, to go at these guys, but you did the right thing by not. And exactly. You know, he, he oh. trained him that it's not fair with his superpowers to fight back and he shouldn't because he's better than them and they just don't know it. 
Well, and let's talk about, too, the, you know, one of the big rescues we see is a school bus. You know, mm-hmm. Clark's actually getting picked on on the school bus. School bus blows a tire, goes off a bridge into some water. Everybody's drowning. And Clark, like, goes out and basically just picks the school bus up, walks it onto the the uh, land, dry land, goes and gets the biggest bully of all who was drowning and throws him up on the, the shore, makes sure he's okay. And then a mother of one of those kids is like, this is the first time we've seen him do this. We right. all saw it. And the kids are like, eh, you just missed it. And he, I love the conversation between young Clark and Jonathan Kent on the back of that truck. He's like, what was I supposed to do? Let him die? And Jonathan goes, I don't know, maybe. Right. I mean, it was, I mean, I was like, wow. No, this is really deep. Yeah. It's very deep. And I'm going to say this now. Kevin Costner is barely in this movie. He's maybe in four or five minutes of it. And it is, it is impactful. It, it reminds you why this guy has won Oscars and for years was the go-to guy in a lot of dramatic roles. This, this guy can act. Yeah. And the kid they put him up against too. I don't know who that is, but it, that was all very well done. It was, it was, it was amazing. And, and Kevin Costner, I, for all the films that he's done that have just been garbage, and there's a lot of them, uh, yes. when he when he's in something with good dialogue and good uh, screenwriting, he just kills it, right? And he killed yeah. it in this film. And you're right, he's only on the screen maybe 15 minutes of the whole two and a half hour film, but those 15 minutes are very memorable minutes, and they're they're very well done. So he he did his part, and he earned his paycheck. That that's well, for sure. No doubt. And can I tell you, too, though, a lot of the performance that you see here of Jonathan Kent, the way he's portrayed, I mean, it's definitely Costner doing Jonathan Kent, but John Schneider played Jonathan Kent on the seasons of Smallville he was in. It's very much the same. This very conflicted father who's trying to raise a son that he knows is much more extraordinary than anything else, Mm -hmm. but he wants him to be good and do the right thing and to hold back and you'll know when the time is right. I mean, this is, you know, that's Jonathan Kent. has always been that. I mean, Glenn Mm -hmm. Ford was that for the two minutes he was in the first Superman, but (laughs) it it, just to see the way it's played here, it's just so much more emotional, impactful. And and you see how it's, yeah. And you see how it shapes Clark. I think one of the best scenes is the really where Jonathan dies. We learn he dies in a, in a tornado, the argument that Cavill and him have in that front seat of that car, you know, the standard teenage argument, you know, like, well, you're not even my real dad. You know, I don't want to be on the farm, blah, blah, blah. And they're going right. back and forth. I, I swear I was like, man, that is some, I mean, he is channeling Tom Welling right there so much. And he is doing John Schneider right there. I mean, it was, it was so good though. Yeah. I have no frame of reference for those two, but the, the scene itself was fantastic. And the whole point where Jonathan goes back to rescue the dog and comes and as he notices that the tornado is coming, Clark goes to try and save him. And he just shoes him off and says, no, not the yeah. time. And he knows it's, it's over. And yet the Clark listens to him. Because he I has know. to. And fantastic. I mean, that's amazing right there. Because if you had the power to go save your, you know, dad, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, that's what you well, do. But he re- listened to his father's advice and said, and, and, and let him go. Well, remember that initial, you know, the first Superman movie where he, he had the great line. He says, all those things I can do and I couldn't even save him. Yeah. You know, that becomes this sort of theme for Superman. It's like, I must save people and, you know, cause him to do things to go against the Kryptonian Council. Actually, I liked him this way that mm-hmm. he's upset about it. But at no time do you see him go, and I always wished I had run out from that bridge. Because, no, right. he knows his dad was right. That was not the right time Correct. to do that and just to let him go. And I, I dug that twist because that changes his, uh, I guess you'd say his pathos as an adult and mm-hmm. why he hides. 
and things, or or goes by these mysterious names. I mean, he doesn't really hide. I, I guess I should stop saying that because he's doing all this amazing stuff. He just does it under Different assumed aliases, names, and yep. and no, yeah, nobody's bothered to put it together until Lois Lane shows up, True and that's right. really what it is. And I guess that's time to talk about Lo- our new Lois Lane, Amy Adams here. This is a completely different Lois Lane than what we get in the comics, from what we get in any of the movies we've seen before. This Lois Lane is, to me, fascinating. And I love that they went with the whole Lois knows who Superman is right all the whole time. Never, right. never forgets it, never anything, but she knows who it is and she keeps the secret. Amy Adams did a phenomenal job as Lois Lane in this one. I really dug the whole character. I love the scene where she hands in the alien, um, uh, alien uh, report to Perry White and he's just like, I'm not printing this crap. No way. Yep. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. I'll get crucified by people if I print this stuff. And it's just a great scene. It just shows that Lois is stuck to her principle. She knows she's right. She wants it out there, but that, you know, she can't do it herself. It's just fascinating. And then she leaks it to some blogger right. who's essentially her, her competition. I mean, there's a, there's a statement there about the changing nature of the press. You know, this is a newspaper, which mm-hmm. is an industry very much in transition right now and, and has been for years. And their biggest competition, online news stuff. Yep. And essentially, she hands it like to TMZ, you know, because right. let's, yes. let's set up everything that happens here. She is, hears about a report that the Air Force, the Army, you know, the military has found what may be a UFO buried somewhere in the ice. So she's going to go check this thing out. And that's when we meet her. She's stepping mm-hmm. off the helicopter into, you know, where the thing was filmed. <laughs> Basically. And I loved all the play around here with her. I mean, you know, she, she meets all the military leaders, one of which is Christopher Maloney. I'm a big Law and Order SVU fan. So, you know, Air Force Stabler all the way. I'm, I'm down for that. And I thought. It, it was just really cool how we meet her and she is, she's already a Pulitzer Prize winner. She's incredibly confident and she doesn't come off as somebody who doesn't know what she's doing. And that's the right. thing. That's the biggest compliment I can give to Adams is the way she plays this is Lois is somebody who is set and has done it so well that she can go and do outlandish things and not get fired. You know, because and like you never really believe Margot Kidder was an ace reporter, right? right you know, right. the the joke she couldn't spell, right? That was you know crazy. And Kate Bosworth was still in high school, it looked like. So you know, that <laughs> that is what it is. Amy Adams really brings a different gravitas to the role. She has like this quiet confidence about her that's really cool, and it's why I'm allowed allow myself to go with it when she sneaks out at night and she's taking pictures after they've you know shown the ship on holograph and stuff and she sees this guy in the distance which we know is Kal-El running to that ship because he's seen yeah. the news too and I thought that was kind of cool right and he's working on the on the on the site right and so right. He, he's following all leads he can because he knows he's alien so he figures well, this must be something that I can exactly. investigate so can I tell you how... and what what I thought was really cool Jay is that he knows exactly what to do once he gets in there. Yeah, instinct takes over. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It was so cool, though, to see that. Because that's, you know, it's one of the things that gets revealed later, and we know this, is that he gets the, you know, the the power crystal, if you will, which is essentially a piece of pewter that has the S symbol on it. Mm-hmm. He gets key. that. Yeah, he gets that from the dad's barn. Um after they, you know, his dad shows him, this is what you landed in, son. Mm-hmm. They've kept it buried under the barn all these years. And so he's 
been carrying this thing around his neck forever and looking for the slot to stick it in. And what he essentially does is activates the Jor-El uh, artificial intelligence, which right. is Russell Crowe in the flesh. And I can I tell you, I, I know that it's supposed to be hologram and the way they play it, it's hologram, but it obviously it's Russell there. I'm like, I'm sure Crowe was like, I'm not going to be, you know, projected. No, just set me over to the side. I won't touch anyone. <laughs> and I like, I like that. <laughs> I liked it too. And I think that they, they, they didn't want to do a simple holographic image like we've come to know it they wanted it to be more realistic as possible um i think that's cool it's an advanced technology right they come from a very advanced civilization so that they can make it look like you're actually standing there i thought was kind of cool what i would have yeah. thought would have been kind of neat is if if we saw someone walk through him to, yeah to show that it was a holograph but just a realistic holograph that would have been kind of cool but i'm not mad that they didn't i thought that was really neat and to actually have him, although he has the memories of Jarrell, to actually have him recognize his own son was kind of a neat thing too. It was very cool. It was very cool. And here's the other thing that I liked here is that there's a defense mechanism on the ship. Now you know they drop the line. The 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 military does is that that's been there for at least twenty thousand years. Mm-hmm. You know, in in Earth years or whatever, right? So Jarrell had been to Earth at some point and had scouted it out. That's why he knew to send Kal-El to Earth. And I mean, he dropped that in the early scenes too. So I was like, okay, this is cool. They're learning at the same, you know, it, it often happens in movies that the audience is either way ahead or way behind of everybody else in there. And we're actually all kind of at the same spot, which is cool. I, I mean, I like how, how they keep that going. And as he's trying to figure out how to put that key in there, this thing comes to attack him, which is another Matrix drone. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but it certainly looked like one. And that's what gets Lois hurt. You know, she gets attacked right. by the thing, and he comes and smashes it. And I love his whole bit to her. He's like, this is really going to hurt. And he uses his laser eyes to cauterize the wound. No, I thought that was a, a genius way to do it. Now, I don't believe that um, Jarell had ever been to Earth, personally. Um, I think that they sent explorers to Earth, and they found it. I, I just don't think I could buy that he was there personally. But being the technology, he could insert the computer program to go to all the different vehicles. So I think that's how he got True. there. I don't know that he was actually on Earth at any well, point. What I meant by that is is obviously he had learned about it through this yeah. scout ship. That's what I mean. Yeah. Is that that scout ship's information had come back to him. Because being the lead scientist, that would be one of the people you'd want to check out the planet that Absolutely. you might want to move to. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's what I mean. But yeah. But I love the whole interaction there with you know how he saves Lois essentially. And it's not the first time. I mean that that was kind mm-hmm. of a running joke for us was how, how's Lois going to get saved this next time? And it, I mean he rescues her many times right. in this you know story, but I always feel like every one of them's earned. And I really dig it. And that's when we get that great scene that you've referenced back in the office where she walks in on Larry Fishburne, you know, Perry, the new Perry White, and he tells her this story is crap. Right. There's no you have lost your mind if you think I'm going to run this. It, it, it's really fun, and then he gets all pissed when she does give it to the blogger because he knows she leaks it, which is awesome. But then what's really fun is that all of a sudden just stuff starts going haywire in the city. The electricity, right. the TVs go blank, and they start showing, you are not alone, you are not alone. And then, boom, here's General Zod giving a speech, and all of a sudden Perry looks at her like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, know? it's like, dang it. <laughs> I, I knew, I believed you the first time, but I didn't want you to be right, and now you are. Right. <laughs> now, now, what did you make of the invasion bit? Because I want to tell you, I got two feelings over this. This was very V for Vendetta and, like, anonymous, which is in the news now, and Independence Day. Independence like Day, yes. Yeah, thank you. I was hoping I wasn't the only one that felt that. Because oh, especially no, no. when the ships land and stuff, I mean, it's, it's like straight out of Independence Day, War of the Worlds, all that stuff. 
Yep, yep. And the, the, the beam from the ship and all that. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I thought that, I mean, I, I, when I watched this movie, I thought I saw a lot of influences from a lot of different movies. Uh, you know, when we get to the, the, the battle between Superman and General Zod, that was totally to me Transformers Dark of yeah. the Moon, right? Where they destroy Chicago. Here we are destroying, uh, Metropolis. So, you know, that, uh, Independence Day definitely on that the part where they invade i thought that was interesting but i i like the whole the whole scene and coming in and, and getting down there and the whole conflict of the fact that um all they claim to want is the son of Jarrell, and the everybody knows that lois is the only one who knows who that is somehow right because well, well, because of her leaked paper well well she knows this is how she has figured this out is she goes on this little hunt we we went over this but we need to back up for a sec she goes on this little hunt and she winds up in all the little places that clark yeah. has sort of lighted in where all these phenomena have happened and she eventually finds her way back to smallville and she you know, meets up with him at, uh, well, she goes to his mother's house and then she meets up with him at the graveyard. And, mm -hmm. you know, she's like, why wouldn't you want the world to know who you are? And he tells her this whole bit, which is essentially he's telling her what Jonathan taught him is that, right. you know, I, this will not go well for me. I don't want you to do this. So please don't. And so she decides, okay, I, I will not reveal your secret. And, you know, that, that gives another layer to Lois here is that, you know, before Lois has always been portrayed as the woman who will do anything for the story right yeah well i think by now setting her up as she's already won the pulitzer she's already well you know renowned and stuff is that she has a certain amount of self-confidence to go you know what i can promise something like that and mean it to somebody like she's not just out for the story and i think that humanized her in a way that hadn't been done before it did i agree with you i think it humanized her very well and i also like the fact that there's someone who knows the secret that he can you know, have faith in and trust that he can talk right. to about it, right? And I think that's something that was sorely lacking in the other ones. The only people who knew were Lex Luthor somehow and Lois for a few minutes before she was brain wiped again, right? So it's nice to have a character who absolutely knows the secret of the man and doesn't, uh, you know, betray him in any way. Yeah, she's not going to use that for her own personal gain because, again, they've already set it up that Lois yeah. doesn't have anything else to gain. Right. You know, she's and, and I like that, though, because then that way you never are questioning her motivations Agreed, yeah. and stuff. So it, it makes it so much better. But I like the, the invasion bit and how he demands that, you know, just turn him over to us or the consequences will be drastic. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to tell you, I really enjoyed and I, it was in one of the early trailers. And so I, I you know, it had been spoiled, but I really enjoyed the, how it goes down when Superman essentially turn or Kyle L turns himself in. You know, he's been aboard his, this ship and he sees the suit that his father made for him, which, you know, that's a, a question we never got answered before was where'd he get the suit? Well, Jarrell made it for him. Yeah. You know, to wear because he wanted him to be this champion, you know, for good um, on Earth for those people. And which is not anything new. I mean, the Marlon Brando said the same stuff. It's like they can be really good if you show them the way. Right. You know, so I mean, it's, it's the same purpose. But I like the active role that he plays in it. But I love how he turns himself in in full cape and everything. And he's got handcuffs on. And I like I was saying to myself, I'm like, why would Kal-El <laughs> wear handcuffs? And I love that, that she asked him about that. And he's like, yeah, it made everybody feel better. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. And I love how he just puts his cards on the table. Like, I can see you've got wintergreen mints in your pocket. <laughs> right, and, right. you know, I mean, that was all really neat. It's like they dispensed with all of the what can he do, what can't he do. Because whether anybody in the audience has seen any of those other movies and stuff, everybody knows what Superman's powers basically are, right? That's part of right. the pop culture lore. You know, everybody knows what he can do. So why waste time discovering that stuff? Let's just, you know, have him put it out there and, and we go with it. 
I agree, and I like how they set it up early, too, when he was well, sitting there, and he all of a sudden got more of the power to him, and he started looking at people, and he saw skeletons and whatever yeah. else, and it was Jonathan who, or uh, actually, it was Martha Kent who basically it was Martha told him to, told focus, him to yeah. focus on on one thing at a time and calm yourself, and I thought that was really cool, uh, setting that whole thing up, too, because that obviously comes to play when we get the whole confrontations between General Zod's forces and him, and I thought well, that was neat, but I agree, the whole scene where he's in the interrogation room, and he's basically just talking to him like he can see through the wall, and they obviously can see through at him, I like that, and then at the end where he says, look, my cards are on the table, and he busts the handcuffs off himself, I thought that was pretty cool, too. It was it was great, and I love how it, it's you know the military's concern is like you know th- someone with this kind of power could turn that on us. How do we know mm-hmm. we can trust him? They're going to play with that a good bit in here, and I like how he's like you, know, it, you got nothing to worry about. But it, I don't know what Zod's really going to do, but obviously you can't afford not to turn me over to him. Right. So go ahead and and turn me over, and that's when we get the first of our big battle you know, uh, scenes coming up here in just a little bit, but you know, he gets taken to, um, or they're going to pick him up essentially. And Zod and his second in command, Feora, which who I, I, I don't know this German actress from anything, Ante Treal mm-hmm. at all, but the scenes where her and Christopher Maloney are basically having the Mexican standoff with each other. Cause they have three or four. I thought were just fantastic. It was like something out of the old West. I was just ready for him to take 10 paces and draw because <laughs> you know? right, they, right. they were bluffing each other as these military commanders that sort of the second in command because neither one of them is in charge. They're like the next one down. And I don't know. I thought that was great. And they demand that Lois go with them too to this, you know, to the spaceship that's hovering above Earth, the Independence Day ship. Yeah, they do. And, and I like that Lois volunteers to go after they're like, yeah, it's not part of the deal. And she's like, I'll go. No problem. Yeah, no problem. And goes in and they immediately put the mask on her, which is setting up the whole thing where she can't really breathe on their, in their atmosphere because it's different a little bit. And so it's, it's harsh. So she needs to wear a mask. So that tells us that. And then the whole bit where Superman gets on there and all of a sudden he just, he can't breathe. He starts bleeding from the mouth. I thought that was rather interesting myself too. You know, I thought to myself for a minute. I was like, is there kryptonite on here? Are they going for that here? And you know what? They never introduced that in here. And I read afterward that David Goyer and and Nolan both said, one thing we are not having in this movie is kryptonite. There's been too much kryptonite in all these other movies. That's that's too easy. We're going to do without kryptonite this time around. Mm -hmm. So they, they, but they blame it on the atmosphere and it calls back all that stuff that they've set up earlier. You know, it's, I mean, it's Chekhov's gun screenwriting, but I like that when that happens, you know, I I like when you, when you say something in one act and then it goes off in the next one. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I I dig it. And it, and again, it's how do you make this impervious character, the man of steel, you know, vulnerable at different times. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we've shown you how he can be vulnerable emotionally. Well, this is how he'll be vulnerable physically. If he's in their environment, he's, he's not going to adjust immediately. I mean, he mm-hmm. will eventually because he is their DNA, you know, but it it's not going to last forever. And I, I love the whole cat and mouse that goes on in this ship. I thought it was it was amazing what they do. But what do you make of the way that they go kind of traipsing through the heads, if you will, of Lois and Kal-El here? They, they basically, they're both knocked out and they get them in like this dream matrixy state and unveil the plot. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I actually thought it was kind of cool that they're, that's a technology that they were able to do. And basically they're searching to figure out who, if anyone knows where this, um, 
what do they call that thing? The, the, the codex. Personal, the codex, yeah. So they're basically putting him on there to try and figure out if either of them know where this codex is or not. And of course, uh, they don't know what the, the heck he's talking about. And so they get nothing off of him. But I thought it was interesting that they were able to do that. It's uh, kind of like, um, a fear that many people have of the government being able to do experiments and find out your innermost thoughts, right? So well, here it, these guys have that experiment technology. It's also the trope of alien visitors. <laughs> That's what they do. They oh, do yeah, experiments yeah. on you. And, oh my gosh, they do. And what we learn is that this codex was essentially turned into like light energy and Jarrell and Laura encoded it in all of Kalel's cells. Right. So he essentially carries all of humanity with him, you know, or all of their humanity, all of Kryptonian with him. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool. And Zod's answer to that, you know, he's got one of his scientists there. He says, can we extract that from him? And they're like, yes. And they said, well, does he have to be alive for us to do it? And they said, nope. And I was like, oh, yeah. OK, that raises the stakes. I'm like, OK, well, now I get it. I, I dig it. And Zod's, you know, the first general Zod, as much as everybody loves Terrence Stamp and that performance and stuff, I didn't really know what they were there to do except rule. And when they finally got control of the world, which only took them about 12 minutes, they were bored with it. You know, right. his his plan is much clearer here. And it's time that you know, we talk about all the performances. Michael Shannon is amazing as General Zod. I loved watching him chew the screen up and unveil, basically, we're going to create you know, new Krypton here. And if it kills everybody on Earth, oh, well, so be it. But we're the superior race and we're going to take over. It's in the Independence Day plot, basically. It is. I liked it a lot. And I thought he did a superb job. He was very um, assertive, uh, very angry. His facial expressions were great. And yet he, at times he could be very calming and compassionate about certain things, but instantly go back to being that hard ass, you know, military guy. And I thought he did a phenomenal job in here. You actually believed that he was a badass. Well, you know, here's the other thing about him. Not only is he, he's the bad guy or whatever, and he's evil or whatever, but he's, He's totally understandable. Like, you can watch this movie from his point of view, and you get why mm -hmm. he's doing what he's doing. He's authentic. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't even go on. I wouldn't even say he's the bad guy. He's doing his job, right? I mean, right, it may right. not be conducive to Earthlings. Well, you know, he, he keeps... Job, he's doing what he feels is right. And he keeps no secret to Kyle L that I killed your father. You don't know how that's tortured me through the years, but it was what my job was, and it had to be done. Right. It's that, you know, get, we're going to do the job, you know, that inhuman way. And that's, you know, that's, that sets him up as the enemy, but you're right. He's mm -hmm. not necessarily the bad guy. And I like that. I like that there's, there's some gray to that. That's very yeah. contemporary, you know, that there's, you know, the bad guys are not, you know, depending on, you know, whose point of view it is, whether they're bad or not. I mean, I get that all the time watching the show Game of Thrones, you know, depending on what point of view it is, somebody's good or bad that week. You know, it always changes. So I, I thought that it was cool, though. But I love how that that's the plot that gets unfurled. And I love how Lois, you know, Clark has given her that little key, that pewter key to hang on to. And he just does this little nod of his head like, no. Under, in other words, under no circumstances are you to give this to anyone. Right. And she gets it in the place, sticks it in, and she basically activates the Jor-El AI. And he's like, oh, I guess you need my help. And he becomes yeah. the magical MacGuffin help. I thought that was cool, though. I thought it was awesome as well. And that tells me, Jay, that uh, the Jarell intelligence wasn't necessarily on the ship that was there for 20,000 years. It was in the key. Exactly. It was and, in the key. I like that. I thought that was really a cool little twist to it, is that it, the Jarell intelligence, it's like a computer disk here, right? You pop the disk mm -hmm. in and run the program. Well, this it's is the what he's got. 
It's the Kryptonian jump drive is what yep. it is. I mean, yeah, but I love how exactly. he's directing her around the ship and shoot there, shoot that one, Look shut out the door you, here. Tilt your head and, to the left. <laughs> yeah, and he shuts doors on people for and stuff. I like mm-hmm. that little chase with Lois, who's, you know, she has no idea where she is. Or know? who this guy is that's telling her to do all these yeah. things. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a really cool way to use him. And, but, yeah, to, to, to then uh, have him be, you know, used to help her. And, and basically he's like, I can tell you how to... Bring them back to the Phantom Zone. You're going to have to trust me and listen to me, and then you need to tell Kal-El. <laughs> exactly. And mm-hmm. she asked him, can you change the atmosphere in here? And he said, yes, doing now. Okay, take your mask off. Like he, And that reverses everything because they've got Kal-El strapped to the table, and mm-hmm. then when he starts to get his strength back, I mean, it's nothing. He just rips yeah. his way up and tears through those folks. And I thought, now, that was awesome. That was awesome, and you could see the effects that it has on the rest of the crew there. Now, here's a question I did have, Jay, that kind of irked me a little bit, was that when they were sent to the Phantom Zone, it was a bunch of the the, the military, like, only like six or seven people, right? And now right. they've got a whole ship full of Kryptonians that survived somehow? Is that what I'm supposed to read into that? Well, or Were these people who were already in the Phantom Zone, and, and uh, these guys were put in there with them, like a jail holding cell? Thing. Well, the the way I understood it was that was a prison ship they got okay. put on. That's, that's and so wondering. when they got out of the Phantom Zone, you know, Hurt Locker or whatever they got put in, that Zod being, of course, the great military leader, was able to rally those troops with gotcha. his closest lieutenants. You know, sure. so this is why, too, by the way, you, you you never hear this. They don't put like if you get criminal masterminds and they go to prison, they never put them in the same prison together. There's a right, reason. Right. You know, <laughs> they ever get in the same cell block again, you got a problem. So, I mean, that's, that's not how it works. So, but I, I like that, and that's how I understood was that they got the ship of army because I was like, too, I was like, where did they pick the army up? Because they talk about how they go to all the outposts and everybody's dead. Yeah. And I said, oh wait a minute, they were on a prison ship. That ship's probably loaded with people, that, you know. That must so be it. yeah. it's kind of like the intergalactic con air, you know, so, with, <laughs> with better accents. But uh, yeah, I, I love it, and I love how the first big battle we get is basically in Smallville, Kansas, right? Oh, yeah. And the military comes in, and they just start firing on everybody. And I'm going to tell you something. Smallville basically gets destroyed right. in an afternoon. I mean, they lose their Sears. They lose everything. That place got whacked. It got just demolished, not only by the the, uh, the Kryptonian army, who did a fair number on it, but the own military. They like just fired well, anything and everything. And let's, let's be honest, Kyle really has no no problem destroying stuff either i mean <laughs> just trying to, to fight them off but yes you're right i mean it it doesn't last long but how about the the scene where they come after martha kent what do you oh, think of yeah. that oh man i thought that was amazing mm-hmm. i i really i mean you know it's a great military strategy you know where the weak point is let's go to it you know and sure enough i mean i i thought it was really cool and i loved how they they went after her her, but then I look, the house too. That destroyed the head, drop that truck on the house and all that stuff. But I love how resolved she is too, that she's just like, whatever, you know, well, uh, Diane Lane, you know, she does know. give away the, the spot where they need to go look. Right. Uh, you know, but yeah. Well, well you know, and, 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 and another one of those performances, Diane Lane, another actress that I like in pretty much anything I see her in. And she was great here as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing they did with the Kents that was right is they weren't elderly. When right. we meet them, and they're older, and certainly they're they're much older in the their parents in the back of a, half. Of a, 
thirty year old man. Already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're my parents' age and things right. like that. So like, like I could dig it. I I totally was with it. And I but I liked the, the way they went after her. And I I really I'm telling you this second in command, this Feora uh, woman. I really dug her character. She didn't have a lot of lines or anything. It was just this way she did she, stuff. Yeah, she was very powerful and, and yeah, uh, you you impactful. And I mean, she's about to kill uh you know Christopher Maloney there the. Uh, the lieutenant colonel and you know she tells him this whole you know uh, a good death is the way to go because like basically they're both out of bullets so they pull knives on each other <laughs> right, right. and i was like now that man is a bad man right there colonel hardy <laughs> can hang with his own he's like i'm going down but i'm cutting you up beforehand well, and it's really it, that's that's what you hope your military leaders are like right they exactly. risk themselves for the greater good and he did a phenomenal job and just to see him you know he knows he's overmatched by a ton but to see how resourceful he is and able to survive and then of course a good assist from Kalel. but oh yeah but <laughs> but, but yeah. you know what that worked out well that's that's another reason that you know he ultimately ends up on Kalel's side is because he sees in this fight and we should say you know the ATN tank busters come in and they're shooting at everybody including mm-hmm. Kalel. and yeah. by the end of it the military has figured out don't shoot the blue one Right. You know, he's on our side. One, it doesn't do any good. At first, they were shooting all of them. They didn't care who it was, just trying to get them out of there. Because, I mean, look, your whole whole city is being destroyed, right? (laughs) What are you going to do? You got to stop it while you can, and who knows who's good and who's bad. I I love that Kalel basically says, you know, I know what we're going to have to do here. Because, you know, they send Zod packing because he gets his mask beat up, and he's real disoriented on Earth and doesn't know all those powers. They finally get, you know, him back on his ship. And he's like, okay, we'll go ahead and deploy the world engines. And that's the Independence Day, yes. you know, um, War of the Worlds thing, which basically they're one's in the Indian Ocean and one's in the middle of Metropolis. And they're essentially using magnetic pulses back and forth to each other through the core of the Earth to change the elements of Earth to be more Krypton, Kryptonian-like, right? Correct, yes. It's an interesting thing. Now, uh, but one thing first, Jay, before, before going on, when he loses his mask, all of a sudden mm-hmm. he starts experiencing everything. He has a hard time breathing. He sees bones. He's looking at his hand like, what the hell? You know, seeing the bones in his hands and everything. And, but why Why did Kalel tell him <laughs> how to fix that? <laughs> My, when I was younger, my mom told me to focus on one thing, and that helped me out in this situation. I know what you're going through. Why would you tell I'm, him that? I'm going to blame that on the fact that somewhere in the testing phase, they're like, we need to pay off all that stuff that happened with the you know the classroom and when he's locked in the closet and all that. Well, we got so, that payoff just fine without having to tell the bad guy how to I, call him. I know it is a conceit, but yeah, it's one of the it's one it's about the only time I was like that that was unnecessary dialogue, <laughs> but it. Yeah. I also, I'll chalk it up to this too. This is Kalel who is learning the extent of his powers, what he can do. He's really testing that out. I mean, we haven't really talked about it. When the first time he tries to fly, he's basically just bounding up mm-hmm. and down, you know, jumping yeah. real high. And, and he figures out how to fly later on uh, through that. But he's, I, I took that as, you know, young hubris. He's just talking smack, <laughs> you know, because he's Could never really him. done that in his yeah. life. So he's finally got an opponent that's at least equal to him. So uh, he just talked a little trash, you know. Yeah, to me, it was just a little odd that he would do that. But anyway, it could, because yeah, obviously Zod uses against him in the end because he tells him, yep, I started focusing and now I'm just as good here as you. So, so we got the world engine going now and they've got to figure out a way to stop it because things are just getting out of hand really fast and you know superman and lois talk and they decide they have the way to do it they have this pod that he came in right that they can control or put something in that'll 
put them back to the Phantom Zone. So that's what they go with. They have to trust them. They put it on a, a bombing, a bomber, a B-1 bomber to deploy. And I thought that was just a cool scene altogether, how they had to get all these elements come together and drop at the right time. And they had a problem they had to solve. It. Well, you, you know, the thing I liked is that it is a cooperative thing. There's a scientist that's been sort of drug along through all this who is figuring out the Kryptonian technology. Yeah. You know, as he go, and he's like, yeah, I can reverse the polarity of this thing. Basically, we'll turn the engine of that, you know, his ship in Kansas into a bomb. Right. And when it goes off, it'll create a black hole. Right. You know, we'll so, and, right and, and I love how they figure that out together. But I love how the humans are, are not just standing on the sidelines going, save us, Superman. You know, they're, yeah, they're, they're part they're of, involved. they're active. Yeah, they're active. Yes. And I, I dig that. And I, I attribute that again to the Nolan influence. This one thing about like the cops in the Batman movies that he did, they weren't just useless. Like they were a big part of all the, the fights and everything right. that happened, particularly that last one. And so I was like, yeah, I like that. I like that we're not just the puny earthlings, that we yeah. actually play a role in this. I liked it too. I thought it was very well done and it just shows that there's a partnership between the United States and Superman to save yes. the world and keep it safe and do good. And that's the beginning of this partnership. And it's from that point really that and the general comes up and says, this man's not our enemy. And that's the point where now, uh, we're trusting each other that we're going to do this mm -hmm. the right way. And I like that. Now, what about when the second in command comes in and just basically destroys the back end of that bomber and she's going after Lois and yeah. the doctor is trying his best to, they've got the key partially inserted into the slot and all it needs is pushing. And he's having, a, you know, he's got to hold on for his dear life. That he doesn't get sucked out the back of a plane. Right. And right. he's, trying to push that in i thought that was just a cool scene because there's this fight going on all around him he gets beat up a couple times and but he keeps persevering because he knows that's the only way to do it well you've got that fight going on you've got mm -hmm. clark fighting at zod's ship yeah. and they're having to go around and i mean it ultimately uh kal-el cuts that ship in half with his laser eyes basically which is awesome mm -hmm. but while that's going on the, the second in command is shooting up the place trying to kill lois trying to you know shut that uh that ship off to get that key because they know we've got to have that key. You know, we get control of that and we take away all their advantage that they have. And I love how, you know, Colonel Hardy comes out of the pilot seat and gets down there and he's going to mix it up with her one more time. But really all he does is draw her away from the scientist so he can figure out how to push yeah. the thing in and activate. I love that. It was so smart because what happens is he gets her in the cockpit and she's ready to kill him. And he gives her that same line that she gave him about, you know, a good death. And he crashes the plane into that into world that. engine, yeah. which sets off the Phantom Zone thing, which I thought was yeah. awesome. And Lois, of course, gets thrown out the back of the plane. And get saved by Kal-El, yes. Saved by, saved by Superman in time, which was, which was really good. But, uh, the other part too is that we, that we missed here leading up to this was before they got the world engine going, it was, you had the Genesis ship, which is the original ship that we saw that's been stuck for 20,000 years that, that Clark had found and Lois had gone into. Now we've got General Zod, who's not in the battle right now. He's over there getting that ship ready. Right. And Jarrell's there talking to him and they're having this conversation and he's basically reprogrammed everything and now he's getting the ship's AI to delete Jarrell and it's just a fascinating conversation that they have with each other and you know, Jarrell's trying to plead with him one more time that what he's doing is incorrect and what he's doing is wrong and he's telling him the reasons he's doing it is because he his, his allegiance is to the Kryptonian people and he needs to find them a place to live again and rebuild that Kryptonian race and what Jarrell is doing is standing in the way and what Kalel is doing is standing in the way and they just have a really good conversation before he ultimately deletes him from the AI 
it's a great debate and heightened by the fact that you've got two actors able to handle the you know clunky gobbledygook dialogue there mm-hmm. and make it compelling you know i mean they're talking about stuff that we have no no frame of reference for you know but and thing and a lot of things we didn't even see and they're they're talking about each other's history and they're back and forth and i liked that it was essentially two you know partners who were also on opposite ends of the political spectrum if you will having an honest debate Mm-hmm. And the military one ultimately resides to that. I've had this debate forever. I'm done with this now. Yeah. And, and he deletes him. I mean, he turns him into, you know, ones and zeros and he's gone. Yep. Uh, yeah. But Jarrell, and I love how Jarrell's AI smiles at the end of it. I say Jarrell is Jarrell's AI because he knows I've already given them everything they need to win. Right. You know, and, you know, they're going to go do. And so he, it's like he's confident that, you know, his son will prevail. You know, and I I did dig that and and I thought it was cool. And it sets up the final fight because Zod, you know, crash lands basically in front of Kal-El and, you know, the the what's left of the Daily Planet editorial staff. And and we've been rescuing each other from fallen buildings. We should say the collateral damage done to Metropolis is I think you you summed it up. Well, it's pretty much what happens to Chicago in the third Transformers movie. I mean, it is decimated. And and that's where my main main beef lies. But let's remind everybody that the reason that Zod doesn't get thrown in the Phantom Zone is because he has in that Genesis ship, which houses a bunch of the pods of Kryptonian people. That he needs the codex to bring out, right? Right. That's that's his purpose. Is once the world, uh, the world engine has converted everything, now he must get the codex out of Kalel and hatch all of these Kryptonians to rebuild the, the thing. So you mm-hmm. you said he crash lands, which a powerful powerful set of scenes there where Perry White is helping a lady trying trying to help her. Did you catch the name on that? I did. That's not. that's Jenny Olson. The oh. intern. That's who that's supposed to be. So. Jenny Olsen. Yeah, they, they, they've kind of played that in the different site, but that's who that is. So, okay. Yeah. yeah, I didn't catch that. Um, good good catch there. But, uh, yep, he's helping her, and then the ship comes in. They're, they're pretty much thinking they're doomed, right? Right. But then they're saved once again miraculously. They get her out, and then it, uh, the building comes crashing down. Uh, just a fascinating stuff that they're... But here's my only my, my only beef with this. It was that uh, it was a little too much on the destructo of the city between these two, General Zod and Kalel fighting. I thought that was a bit much. When they go at each other, and this is the thing Zack Snyder has promised forever. He said, when you see Superman fight somebody, another Kryptonian, what you're going to see is what Superman would do. He's not going to throw a cellophane ass. He's not going right. to, he's going to punch somebody because that's what Superman does is he punches people and they're going to punch back. And I, for the most part, I was with the fight. The thing I hated was that it was continual damage, damage, damage. And I mean, they drop a couple of cool things in there. They crash through a couple of gas trucks, which, I don't know if you noticed the company name there, LexCorp. So they drop that in there. <laughs> nice. So, and then when they crash across that satellite in outer space, that's a Wayne Enterprises satellite. So I mean, they're <laughs> you know they're building. If DC is really intent on doing that Justice League movie and they're trying to hinge it off of this, they laid all the eggs, you yeah. know, for it. But I'm with you. I, at one point, I was like, they needed to crash through like a couple of buildings, those gas trucks, and then take it outside. You know, yeah. take it to space, fight there. Because look, we haven't seen a good Superman in space fight ever so you know it's time to do that and then they could have come back down to to grand central to finish it off i was i was kind of done with the destruction of the city too but can i tell you i really like how the final bit of it came down to 
some people trapped in a corner, and Zod's got his laser beams pointing at him, and he's about to fry him. And he's basically telling Kyle, "You're going to have to kill me if you want to save these people that you cherish so much. You're going to have to betray right. your race to do it." And then he does. He snaps his neck. That was dark. It was dark, and it was powerful because that was so um, emotional and whatnot on Kalel himself. He. That's one thing he never yeah. wanted to do was kill anyone, right? And he had to do right. it to save the people of Earth or this family who are innocent in this whole battle, right? And so he does something. He crosses a line he never wanted to cross, and you see how emotionally damaging that is to him when it happens. Just a phenomenal scene. Yeah, I thought it was it was fantastic. And like I said, for the most part, a really cool fight. And I want to give credit right now to Amir Morky, uh, Makri and Zack Snyder, the director here. The way they shot this, I watched a little featurette that's on YouTube about it now. They purposely shot with one camera. And they did a lot of close-up and a lot of handheld stuff. They wanted you to feel like you were right there as a part of it next to it. Hmm. And a lot of times when that thing happens and these fights happen, it's like you go blind from all the whizzing around and stuff. Right. But I never really got taken out by that in this, Brian. Now, maybe it was just because I was so into it at this point. I didn't care. Uh, but I thought the fight choreography was great, and it never it never got too computery for me, if that makes any sense. No, and I agree with you. I thought they did a very good job on getting this, making it look very realistic. And, you know, it. aside from tearing the crap out of the city, the fight <laughs> was really good. And it was, you know, thousands of times better than what we've ever got in a Superman fight, right? Yeah, uh, did you, you finally vindicate your Superman 2 demons there with the, the fight that you didn't like? <laughs> or the Superman 3, or 4, with the nuclear yeah, the man nuclear fight. man, oh, oh gosh. God, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this was really good. This was really good. And it was full of action. I think they didn't need to make it go on so darn long, though. They could have cut the fight down a little bit, not destroyed everything, because let's face it, it's going to take a long-ass time to rebuild that city. And I, I have two thoughts about that, too. I want to jump in there real quick. I, I think the reason they did is because if you've seen the Avengers, that raised the stakes. That and, and the I did not see that. Yeah. Tra Transformers Dark of the Moon, the, the fights in those, I mean, they whacked the whole city down and it's a massive fight. So they felt like they got to live up to that. And I think, too, I, I was sitting there asking myself, how in the world are they ever going to top this in a sequel? Because, I mean, this is like two movies worth of great yeah. stuff that goes down here. And I'm like, I think... They're gonna. They're doing the big blowout now, so they can dial it back later. Well, they're gonna have and, to and, and say, "Hey, we did the big. We well, can't do that every time. We it want it to be more personal. I mean, this this movie ends on a real personalized note. So I I don't know. I I thought it was cool. I was okay with with what they did. I'm with you. It went on a little long, but I think I know why it did. I mean, I, if there are deleted scenes from this film, I don't think any of them come from the end. They probably come from the middle. You oh, know, sure. for, for this. So I I, I was okay, but I like. Again, the, like you said, the emotional toll it takes on him to have done that. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen a lot of on-screen kisses. You know, some earned more than others or whatever. But the the smooch between Lois and Kyle there at the end, I thought was a well-earned kiss in the middle of all that destruction. Yeah, I think it was fine. I, I don't know that it ever needed to happen, though. I think having Lois be a trusted ally was good enough for me. They don't really need to go down the romantic path. Can I say, I hope they never go beyond just that. I mean, but they, te so too, yeah. they teased it, though, because she was like, you know, they always say it's downhill after the first kiss. And he's right. like, I'm pretty sure that only applies to humans. <laughs> and I was exactly. like, well, OK, that was kind of funny. I mean, I, I dug that, that there was a little poke in the ribs. And I thought maybe they won't go for the romance. Maybe it's just one of those yeah. heat of the moment. 
you know, come here, baby things. I don't know. It, I have a feeling that they will. Um, I think that they almost have to because it's just what we're we're used to as a Superman loss. But it is a big part of the Superman story. In the exactly. Comics. I mean, exactly. it's you, you can't do it's be like doing Spider-Man without Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy. I mean, it's going to be one of them. So you got to yeah. do it at some point. But, you know, I, yeah. I love the the end of it. Is he goes back to see mom. And she's just like, don't worry about the house. It's just stuff, you know, we'll take mm-hmm. care of it. And I'm like, she's dragging her pictures and stuff out of there. And I was like, you know, that's the standard, you know, down to earth, you know, that she plays that character all the way. And I was cool with it. And I love how she's like, so what are you going to do now? And he's like, well, I guess I'm going to get a real job and I'm going to have to do something uh-huh. to keep my ear to the ground. And I love how they started you know, setting up that he's the new stringer for the Daily Planet, and then they pull the glasses gag, you know? Uh, and there's that little laugh. And, I mean, Amy Adams does it, plays it like, I'm going to try not to crack up, <laughs> you know? And I like that they played that off as a joke, because it hasn't been something we've all complained about, is how do they not know? How do they yeah. not know? Especially now when the whole world has been seeing him. I mean, yeah. you, you got to believe that they broadcast news <laughs> on this guy the whole time exactly. that they were turning him over or any of that stuff that I don't know. I was like, really, we're going to go with the glasses. I was hoping that maybe they gave him a, you know, give him that beard that he had at the beginning of the movie, right? Give, give him a yeah. fake beard he can put on and take off as a Superman because that looks a little bit different, at least. The glasses and a fake beard, that would be kind of okay. Make him wear a wig, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Something to actually disguise the guy, but to go with just the glasses again, just, it's like, oh, that's not as realistic. Now, this movie has been very realistic, but that, oh, that's well, kind of that- sad at that. That was a conceit. You know, I was, I'll, I gave it a pass for it because I felt like it was a way to end the movie on an upbeat moment for a movie that had been kind of dark at times and had well, been and very it, serious. Yeah. I, I was okay with it as kind of a final joke. I, you know, honestly, I don't know where they'll go with it from here. I well, kind of hope they play it off as like, look, this is the Daily Planet's little secret, y'all. <laughs> and we, well, yeah, but we, it's we not you know, a secret. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I know. But I like, know. but that, but that America, that, you know, nobody's going to know this guy because the one thing they do, and this is what I like, is he's not like the city beat reporter. He's a stringer, which means he'll have a byline and nobody will ever see his face. He's yeah. not somebody who gets on TV for that. So he's just writing copy, essentially. It's a way to have him out there in the world and keep his ear to the ground, but not be noticed, you know, and or not be known. And maybe he'll disguise himself more as he's going out and stuff. I'm, I'm sort of hoping they're like, OK, the five of us know and we're not allowed to tell anyone. Yeah. Or else Superman's well, gonna start kissing everybody, and it's gonna be problems. So. <laughs> exactly, or turning the world back. Yeah, at least but, they didn't do any of that. Oh, you gotta admit, I agree. So. Oh, it's much better. But uh, I think it also sets up a really good way to bring a sequel in too. I mean, that, I think they really left it very good to bring in a sequel. Now we understand how he got to the Daily Planet. Let's find out what he does after this. And I like that. I thought it was a good way to end it. Exactly. Well, Brian, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings for the movie. So what are yours for Man of Steel? Best Superman movie ever. This is an extra large popcorn for me. I don't know if I've ever given a movie an extra large popcorn. <laughs> I don't think you've been on anything worthy of one. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. We, we, I have been on some pretty shitty films. But this movie delivered huge. And, and I, I'm so glad that I didn't read anything or watch anything beyond those first two trailers or a, a, have anyone spoil anything for me. I'm glad I was able to get out there on the first um, weekend because there weren't enough spoilers for me to find. Uh, fantastic. I, I was engaged the whole film two hours and 23 minutes felt like an hour I, it was just 
action, action, action. Good story, good story. Great dialogue. Awesome acting. Uh, I love the little, I love the whole back and forth from now to telling his story growing up. That was done so well. And just all the actors involved, fantastic job. Extra large popcorn, easy for me. I'll say this too. I went in knowing a little bit more about it than you, but I went in kind of spoiler free too. And I'm glad I did as well. But I want to say, even if I had known it, this would have still been a very enjoyable experience to sit through and watch. This movie is fun. You know, I've read reviews since seeing it. Uh, you know, it's gotten mixed reviews, essentially. It's the best way to put it. And I'm sitting there going, man, the things people are picking on, it's just, it's just nitpicking to nitpick. There's something broken about the critical process in, mm-hmm. in our society. I'm convinced more now than ever, because I'm going to tell you something. This movie is really fun and it's also really smart. Yeah. It's got some things you have to just sort of go with. I mean, you know, there's, there's some funny stuff in there. I think one of the funniest lines is at the the very end where Superman crashes one of the drones in the Air Force. Is like, are you effing stupid, son? You know, how do we know you're going to stay on America's side? And I love his line. It's yes. like, I was born in, I grew up in Kansas. I'm as American as you can get. Yep. And I like how this film, it doesn't pull punches for that. And people get hung up on that and upset about it. I'm just, I'm like, come on, you know, just allow yourself to have a good time. It, we didn't even talk about it, Brian, but you know, the, the Christ metaphor here is in full force the whole time. It has been throughout this entire series particularly the the better films, this one, big time. And you know what? It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like it's shoved down your throat. It feels like it should when you're going to reference something in this kind of movie. This, But more over than anything, this is a really enjoyable, very easy-to-swallow piece of entertainment. And I'm, I want to see it again. I'll, I'd see it in a theater again. You know, I might go catch it at a matinee. I'm definitely going to buy it when it comes out on video, and I'm down for the sequel. I hope this is successful enough to launch you know, the DC universe to do some things that they want to do. Cause I want to see how they tie in Lex Luthor. I want to see what kind of Batman they can create. If they can put it in the hands of people like this, Snyder, Goyer, you know, Nolan, any of them, I'm down for it. I think it's great. And I'm going to say it with you too. This is the best Superman film we've reviewed. No offense. I love the 78 film. It's a classic. No doubt. But this is a different movie. And, mm-hmm. and you and I both loved Superman returns. But this buries that. Oh, easy. Yeah really does in every way and it starts with the script is great the acting is great the effects are awesome and it's just fun to follow so extra large popcorn extra butter all the way one of the best films we've ever reviewed here and one of the most fun things i've ever had a chance to review for filmstrip by far really curious to see where we go from here with it Folks, we thank you for joining us in this latest retrospective series here with Filmstrip. You can find more retrospectives in the archive section of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. You can also find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages where we'll update you on the newer things we've got coming up later in the year. I mean, Brian, we got another Leprechaun film to do. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. so, it's, uh, so so much for the extra large popcorn review. But uh, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll get around to that and a lot of other fun things as well. You can also find links to our other podcasts, The Fabish Factor, uh, hosted by Kurt Fabish, the General Film Discussion Podcast, and The Art of Slaying, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. Brian, you and I have finished up five full seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer reviews, and we're getting ready to start season six, and we'll go right through season seven as well. So, folks, thanks again for checking us out. We do appreciate your support. Leave us a review on iTunes, and you know, let us know what you think of our review. Did you like the movie? Did you not? We appreciate all of your support. Until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. And that you're um, totally impervious to pain. Well, so far. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. 
All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. Farewell forever.